Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Today, we have Will Carsetter on the show. Will is the co-founder of Spark Equity Group, and over the last few years, Will has quickly scaled his company and well on his way to surpassing over $100 million in real estate holdings. Not to mention, he is still only in his 20s. What I'm really excited about on this show is his story of focus, discipline, and action. Everything that Will does filters through those principles, and because of that, he gets big results. Uh, You'll get a chance to hear about his entrepreneurial spirit, being willing to fail, creating financial freedom, not just for himself, but also others around him, and building a great culture, and much, much more. Uh, With that being said, I'm really excited to bring on Will and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Will Carsetter, with me. Uh, Thanks so much for being here, Will. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, if you wouldn't mind, give us some context to you, your background and upbringing, and what life was like for you growing up. Uh, I would say just to begin, uh, I mean, really at the core is I have two parents that I absolutely do not deserve. Like God has blessed me with a parents and a childhood that I would I really can't categorize other than just hitting the jackpot. Mm. And what what I mean by that is I I have parents that consistently. Um, not only like pushed me to become my best self, but did it in a way that I, I would almost say it lacked pressure. Like I, I realized there's a lot of helicopter parents kind of shove something down the kid's throat and then the kid ends up resenting whatever that, that thing is. But my parents were always encouraging me to like really discover what, what I wanted my life to be hmm. and always were, you know, uh, the type of parents that was like, you're never going to quit anything. You're going to like finish the commitments that you started. But they also, I think this is the number one thing that my parents did for me growing up is I go ask them a question and they would rarely answer. And I think a lot of parents like get this chip on their shoulder or maybe it's just an instinct. I'm not, I'm not a parent, but they want to answer and be the sole provider of knowledge for their, their child. I guess you've earned that right, I guess a little bit, but my, my parents were always pushing me. Like I go ask my dad about some business and he, he's an HVAC. If it was HVAC, yeah, he's all about it. He's happy to step up. He's happy to answer. But if I'd asked him about anything else, like even small stuff to the point where it was even frustrating at times, they would always point me to one of his friends. He'd say, you know, Bill over here, he's actually like, this is his space. You should probably go talk to him. So he was, like as far as like growing up in that environment, like they were incredibly loving. They supported me even even at a period where after college I was quitting my job to go move in with them. Um, they fully supported me and uh, just encouraged me to like continue to push to you know make like become the fullest and best self um, like within this life that that we're given. But I've always admired and respected them for just not shoving stuff down my throat. They're always pointing me into the direction where they thought I would actually go talk with the expert. Mm -hmm. And why do you think they did that? 
I really don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. But I had a lot of questions. I, uh, I realized I wasn't uh, in really any good at sports around like seventh grade. I kind of peaked athletically and it was all okay. downhill from there. Okay. And I used to, you know, um, used to tell my dad I was going to go be some like professional football player. And he'd say, you know, if you're my son, which I know you are, you're not going to the NFL. Okay. Uh, but so I became extremely interested in like starting a business around the seventh grade and started my first business in high school as a penny auction. Me and my cousin kind of pieced some scripts together and right when they were starting to get big. And that, you know, website actually blew up. Like it got three or 4,000 members on it in the first few weeks. And I remember sitting around one summer, um, making more money than a 16 year old has any idea what to do with. Uh-huh. And of course that side went really well for three months. And then um, ultimately like we got crushed by the bigger players when they figured out what we were doing. Uh, but it got me hooked on entrepreneurship. Like I, I feel like in terms of being an employee, I was ruined at that moment when I was, you know, sitting at home on my computer. And then I tried to end up trying a bunch of different ideas from drop shipping products to bodybuilders to trying to part out a Range Rover in my parents' garage. That didn't go well. Okay. <laughs> um, buying and selling like printers wholesale, trying to sell them out of my parents' garage all the way up through college. I was always trying something, something different. Yeah. And where do you think that innate uh, entrepreneurship mindset came from? Because you talked about how seventh grade kind of got out of athletics and where do you think that the spark kind of came from? I'm not really sure. My, my parents never, ever pushed me in the direction of entrepreneurship. Um, and that's a question I've asked myself. Like I've, I've had two really good business partnerships up to this point and both my other business partners came from uh, really absolutely nothing like in terms of, of on a financial basis, like, and so a lot of their drive and a lot of their entrepreneurship desires are from a, like a place of lack, like growing up and always wanting more, but never having it. And, um, I, I didn't necessarily grow up in, in that environment and I'm not really sure where, where it comes from. It's something that they, they've actually asked me many times of why do you work as hard as you do and I, I really don't know what it is i just think it's fun yeah you just enjoy it yeah if you're going to do something like be the best at it like give it everything like you've only got one life here like why would you not push yourself to your absolute limit to make the most out of the time that you have here and it's not just for yourself but for your children for others like be the person that people look to because all it takes is you like stepping out first taking some risks and then just giving it everything. And it's crazy how fast your life can change. Yeah. So whenever you first started your first little company back when you were younger, did you have any care in the world if it failed? Or were you young, you didn't, didn't matter? Or what didn't was that? Like? Yeah. yeah it didn't, didn't matter at all. Uh, in fact, probably my biggest issue with the first few like companies or ventures that I tried was I was kind of like, I, I'm a really good self-starter. So I'd get something up and going and start making a little bit of money. And then I'd kind of get bored and set it down. Um, but, and I, I think that's, I'll kind of jumping ahead. That's really, I think a lot of where like the six, my success has come from is I've partnered with people who are visionaries. I've partnered with people who are good, like at, at finishing something. Cause I'm just really good at starting something. I can get something going, but then I don't necessarily get bored, but um my strong suit is taking something from zero to one but no i didn't as far as like these businesses failing i didn't really view it as that like i was learning a ton 
Um, I was investing all my summer money, like pulling wire uh, for this construction company and to getting these things started. And I felt like with each one, I was getting a little bit closer to whatever success looked like and just having a ton of fun doing it. Like to me, it didn't necessarily feel like work. And even today, I feel like I haven't worked a, a day in like four years. Like, um, I know what it's like to go to a W-2 job because I, I had a W-2 when I graduated college for a few months. I know what it's like to have to listen to motivational speeches, to get in the door, to be honestly just pounding on the roof of my car as I'm driving there, like, you know, going with a good attitude, give it your all, and then work on your own stuff after. Like, I know what that feeling of, oh my gosh, do I really have to have to be here is and feeling like your life is just slipping through your fingers every single day and you can't control when you get a rage, you can't control when you leave for lunch, you can't control anything. Like, I know what that's like, and I haven't had that for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and not to jump ahead too far, but I love what you said about finding people that are opposite of you as business partners, that you talked about maybe having this ability to get things started and going, and not necessarily like you're just done with it, but maybe there's people that have a better skill set to come in and, and have these systems integrate the things that need to be done on the back end, whereas yeah. you can go on to the next thing. And, and I think that's really important because I think a lot of the times it's very easy when you have that mindset or that that makeup to where you think it's a negative that you're just you know i just don't like continuing on this stuff and mm-hmm. i think there's times where we have to do those things right there's things we have to do that we don't want to do but at the same time it's embracing that natural makeup of who you are and then finding people around us to help and kind of come aside, come alongside each other almost like a team right yeah. to go in and, and have a company and so it's just interesting. I just started reading. I think it's it's the gap in the gain. I think um, mm-hmm. is the book I just started. But they wrote a book called Who, uh, Not How, and talking yeah. about forming those relationships. And it just immediately that's what I thought of when you said it. So going back into your story a little bit, you started these businesses early on in high school. Um, what were you doing? Or actually, first and foremost, are there any experiences that you can look back on aside from maybe starting those businesses that? really shaped you at a young age or was it just a culmination of experiences? Uh, no, really it's my, was my parents always pointing me to the, the different people. Like if anything shaped me in my childhood, I would say it's that. Uh, and of course they instilled in me an attitude of, you know, you're never going to quit anything. You're going to finish what you start. And if you make a commitment, like you're going to honor that commitment. So be slow to commit, but when you do be the guy that, Okay, we don't know if he's going to commit. All right, now that he has, we know that he's going to give this absolutely everything. Uh, other than that, um, I got, when I went to college, uh, I was really just ready to get out and start making money. And again, I don't really know what, what sparked that um, within me. And any other childhood experiences that really shaped me, I'm not sure. I would just always go back to just having parents that I do not deserve. Sure, absolutely. That's that's one of the most critical components to to just growing up is is having those good parents, but also like you talked about having some partners that that uh, maybe come from a different background. So we all come from different experiences, different backgrounds, different makeups. Uh, but it's interesting when you get to hear stories like yourself, you get to see the common patterns of all these people. You know, we all come from different places, but there's these innate makeups that we have. There's the drive. There's the determination, focus that we have to have. Yeah. to be successful whatever we do and having the mindset that you just talked about once you commit be all in at it yeah. give your absolute best and do it with excellence so 
That's what I love about your story. So you obviously got to college. You said you wanted to, you know, maybe get out as quick as possible. Yeah. Were you doing anything entrepreneurial in college? I, I was. Uh, to, to go back to your last question, too, so, something that I tell myself a little bit, but I don't know if this fully answers your question, is that there's, you know, there's people way more capable than me that turned 18, were drafted, went over the war, and died in 30 minutes. It's like, it's not, I think part of my drive comes from, like, if I'm not going to do it, who else is going to do it? And not that it's an obligation, but that it's almost like a duty. Like we've been, I've been given an amazing situation. If I don't make the best of it for everyone who is more capable and didn't get the chance, like how can I even like look myself in the eye? Like that's not, like that would almost be like taking away from all these people that were just so much more capable and had, you know, weren't given the same opportunity. Yeah. Uh, in, in college, uh, I guess the things I was working on, I, uh, the two main ones was I started a uh, YouTube channel. I wanted to go review cars. I love fast cars. I don't know how they work. I just like going fast. Okay. <laughs> um, so I started a YouTube channel uh, and I called up Auto Trader and I was trying to get a job there after college. And I, I called some lady and got a hold of someone. And really the pitch was, you know, I'd really like to apply for this journalism job. And they were like, well, you're a journalism major. You have no experience. And I was like, okay, I'll call you back. So I called them back and said, well, if I started this YouTube channel, got 10,000 subscribers in the next six months, could I have a job? And they didn't say yes, but they gave me enough of a hope of, yeah, maybe that uh, <laughs> I was willing to give that everything. So I, I went around filming for the Tulsa Exotic Supercar Club for a while because I have a supercar, but one of my friends did and he let me tag along and just make videos and so a ton of my time in uh, at least my senior year was dedicated towards that YouTube channel. I only got to like 3,000 subscribers. And now those videos are all so cringeworthy that they're <laughs> on private and I'm going to remain on private for a very long time. Okay. Uh, but I, I was also buying and selling couches throughout college. And I was in the entrepreneurship program as well. So buying and selling couches, like that was actually a good way to make money. And uh, it's kind of how I have any, I guess, side money throughout, throughout college. And my roommates joke that we were living our lives, not by weeks or days, but by how the living room was set up. Cause I would have just a new couch in there. Uh, <laughs> it seemed like every week. And um, other than that, I, like I was in the entrepreneurship program. So I was an entrepreneurship major and MIS major. And so I was always working on whatever that, whatever my team was working on in an entrepreneurship program. OU's got an amazing entrepreneurship program where like you kind of develop a team through like your freshman year all the way to your senior year. And then if a few teams actually get to go present at the governor's cup, and then if you win that, you get to present in front of some angel investors. So they actually give you a way to where you could actually, you know, actually fully start startup. So just working on those ideas, we had like a, a mobile phone repair business that we were working on for a while. I had this um, invite me idea, which is like a referral program for restaurants. None of those really, really went anywhere though. Yeah. The couches was by far the most profitable, but it was also the most boring. Well, I, I'd like to dive into that. How does someone get into uh, doing couches? Like, how did that even come about? I needed a couch and I was, uh, it was like my junior year and I just moved in. We didn't have one. And I was on Facebook Marketplace just looking and I saw one. I was, so I lived in Norman and I saw one out in Shawnee. So it's like an hour away, I think. 
And they were saying like, you know, the garage sale is going to open at, at um, 5 a.m. And uh, I don't know how I did it. It was kind of an accident, but I looked at the ad and the ad, at least it read that this couch was like for sale for like $10, which was a typo. It's actually like a thousand. Okay. Um, but so I drive out there. I'm the first person there at this because I'm like, I'm about to get this awesome couch for $10. And uh-huh. I should have known it was too good to be true. But I showed up and of course it wasn't. But the guy felt a little bad that I'd driven all the way out there because he saw his mistake too. So he ended up selling it to me for like 300 or something. And I'm driving it back and I had no plans of selling at this point. I was like, dang it. But I also, I was like, you know, it's still a good couch, 300 is a fair price. Gave me a huge discount because I was there at 5 a.m. in the morning. Ended up falling out of my truck on the way back. It got all scratched up. And I was trying to load it myself for like another two hours. Um, just just down the street, actually, from where I bought it. Like, it didn't stay in the truck at all for very really? long. Really? Okay. Yeah. But uh, I brought it back. And I was like, worst thing, I can, like, just list it for sale if I don't like it. And then it was, like, all beat up at, after it fell out of the truck. So I was like, I'll just try to sell it. And I listed it for 600 and it sold in two days. And then I just was like, well, maybe I've, I've got something here. And so I just kept trying and um yeah i just focus on like brown sectionals and i'd focus on facebook listings that had one picture and kind of a blurry image you're looking for a nancy or a betty or like a name that would notate an older person yeah and you show up and hey i'm a college student and i'm you know, buy and sell couches and just be nice and you know you'd find one for 100 150 bring it back to norman and find some student to pay a thousand for it and at my height, I was doing two or three of those a week, which was making really good money for a college student. Oh, yeah. And it was actually super demotivating. Whenever I left college, went and was working at W2, was actually making less money than I was buying and selling couches. Selling couches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that story. And I love what you talked about in your entrepreneurship classes, <laughs> the things you were doing. And then even going back to you know, early high school, trying op- and, and having some opportunities to, to start businesses. But I think that when I look at your story, you get to see that a lot of times you have a need or a desire and you could just kind of follow along that path and over time it evolves because obviously you needed a sofa yeah. and then you wound up starting to sell sofas. You're like, Hey, this is actually, this could be a pretty good thing. And then you start doing it. And I think sometimes that's, it's this natural curiosity that you have to have or a need or desire. And then all of a sudden it can evolve over time and become something. I don't know if you ever envisioned you know, making a lot of money selling couches, but it, it happened for you, right? Yeah. Because you had a little, a little initiative uh, <laughs> to do that. So I love that story. Well, you graduate from college and you talked about how it was a little bit demotivating Yeah. to go into a, a job. Where did you go initially right out of college? So I was, um, I was actually, I was sitting in my capstone class. I had an offer from EY, that accounting company, no interest in doing that. Um, my, my dad is like a, uh, a part owner of this HVAC company here in town. And so to me, that was kind of just like her golden spoon opportunity. I mean, an opportunity where I could come back. And if I just work for him for 10, 15, 20 years, uh, I'm sure I have gotten some opportunity to buy in or, or something like that. Of course, there wasn't, wasn't any guarantee, uh, but that looked a heck of a lot better than any of the other options that I was, I was looking at. So I came back. Uh, Came back and started working for for him and his partners, and it was like my third day there. 
that and my dad is amazing to work with and then he can say got a great company but it was like my third day there that i was like this like my life has to be more than this um and my friend in my capstone class as i was shutting down the car company because he was really encouraging me to just do that he's like you know go all in if you just make a video every single day and focus on this you've already got the connections you've got some money saved up like just give it six more months and i was like i just was kind of burnt out at the time but he was just encouraging me like and he, he's the type of guy he'll just give you his opinion like, you don't have to ask for it and so he was always saying like you're always focusing on all these ideas that are way out there that no one's ever done before like why don't you just do something concrete he's like i'm getting into real estate like you can buy houses you can raise money like you don't need money to get it started uh, you should look into doing that too. He's like, you're one of the hardest workers I know. You just need to focus on something concrete. And this is like a week before I graduated. And I was like, nah, not interested, but not just in real estate at all. Uh-huh. Uh, so I kind of blew that off. But like my third day in that cubicle, I, I remember calling him after work and saying, hey, like, what's this real estate thing you were talking about? Like, you've got to tell me more about this. Like I, I've got to find a way where I can either make a substantial impact on this company and create a competitive advantage or create some spinoff, or I've got to just do something completely different. Uh, yeah, there, I, I ended up working um, at that HVAC company for I think eight or nine months around there. I was, um, I was a salesman and it was one of the slowest time periods uh, just for the company in general. So um but I, I just like, I called my friend, he kind of gave me some books to read about real estate. And so during this time period that I'm working at this HBC company, I'm getting to the office at five. I'm reading about real estate until eight at my lunch break. I'm doing the, the same thing. Uh, again, we were kind of slow. So there's a lot of afternoons where I was focused on my real estate stuff as well, just because there really wasn't anything to do. And how many times can I just practice estimating a job or how many cold calls can I make? Um, so I was using some of that time and after work, I was doing the same thing. I was going to all the real estate meetups, trying to meet everyone that I possibly could. And I just be like, when I find something I like, I just become obsessed. Like I'm not a balanced person at all. I don't really believe in balance. I'm like, why would you ever want to be average at everything? Just be really good at one or two things and let everything else just kind of fall into place. But I just became obsessed. And, um, about three months later, this was September First, I would consider I, like September 1st, 2017, I consider I fully actually jumped into real estate and started marketing and contracted my first time shortly after. Really? Now, was your friend that had asked you to get into real estate or told you about real estate? Was he kind of help guiding you as you got started or? Uh, we were kind of helping each other. So there was, excuse me, there was him. So he moved to Dallas after college and my other friend moved to Oklahoma City. And so we were just on the phone with each other all like for probably two hours a day talking with, Hey, I just read this book. I think this could be a good marketing strategy. Uh, and just really trying to help each other break into the space. We all, all three of us had no idea what we were doing. Uh, but it was like an awesome support group. Um, I'm the only one still doing real estate, but uh, having them to just bounce ideas off of and help get started. Like it, it gave me a sense of, hey, I'm not alone in this because we're all at least trying uh, most days to wake up and, hey, we're, we're all going to read this at, from five to eight and then we're going to be on the phone at lunch and talk about it and 
Like we all just really wanted to change our life and we were all sitting in the cubicle at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you feel like had you not had those friends around you and it, it I, I feel like you still would have been very successful, but do you feel like having those friends around you at that given time and being able to sit and talk on the phone about real estate, about the books you read, about the things that you think are good opportunities about marketing, do you think that helped you kind of push into it a little bit further than you might have initially on your own? Uh, I, I want to say yes, but I, I really don't think at the end of the day it would have made a difference for me. Like yeah, yeah. Him, him giving me that spark and exposing me to real estate was, I think, all it really would have needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I, I want to say that it helped because I, I really don't know if, what would happen if I didn't have them. But just the support in general, like I was going to all the real estate meetups. I was meeting a lot of friends there. All my friends shortly after I graduated college, somehow to make a whole new friend group, uh, were all in real estate. And mm-hmm. so I was just surrounding myself with people like that and eventually had a really big community where I felt like I could, I could jump in uh, to where all I would have at risk is like my earnest money or the money I spent marketing. And once I contracted the home, I could have somebody else come walk it with me who was actually experienced and tell me, hey, am I making a big mistake or not? Because then I could just cancel the contract, lose the earnest money and, and move on. But no, I mean, they're still two of my best friends and uh, they, like, I, I owe a lot to them. Yeah. Just for, for being in those trenches with me. Sure. And I love what you said, just surrounding yourself with really good people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think even just the initial statement that your friend made to you when you're graduating college, uh, trying to help you do something more concrete per se and get into real estate, yeah. it's just good to have people around us that'll speak the truth and be honest with us, but also... Yeah open our eyes up to new things that we've never been exposed to. And so I think that's a, a great story about how we can do that same thing for other people around us in our environment, as well as they can do it for us. But yeah. then once you decide you want to get into something, trying to immerse yourself and be obsessed, like you talk about, about being all in, and then also putting yourself in an environment around people that are also in that industry, that field that you can learn from, Mm-hmm. Um, that are maybe older than you, younger than you, doesn't matter. They just have that uh, natural inclination that you have to be in a certain field or industry. So I think that's a great point to your story. Um, so what did that first deal look like for you when you actually took the the jump, you wound up doing, uh, getting a house? What was that like? So I, I, sent, so I spent three months after college. I graduated in May. And in September, I sent my first mailers. Again, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I felt like I'd read enough about negotiating and marketing that I could get a contract. How to estimate a renovation? No idea. But I was like, I know enough to, and know enough people at this point to board, avoid like, I feel like something that would really set me back financially. So I'm just going to get started and try it. And I feel like a lot of people get so back bogged down in real estate, trying to like learn all the renovation stuff and learn all the management stuff first that they end up never actually doing anything. I was completely the opposite. I'm like, let me learn as least, <laughs> the least amount of information that I possibly can and then just jump in. Okay. So I, uh, I sent out mailers on September 1st, uh, ended up getting a few calls, not very many, but I got um, a call from a house, um, went over and met the guy. And um, you can really tell in real estate when a lead is motivated. Okay, we're looking for people with problems, not houses with problems. What I mean by that is divorce, death, probate, some situation like that. 
Uh, and I went over there and this was a probate situation. I didn't realize it at the time, but I ended up signing, I met him once and went back over to later, sign a contract, I actually signed the contract on my birthday at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I just thought, you know, this has to be some sign from God that I'm, I'm meant to do this. Uh, so I, um, I was really excited about that one. It, that one ended up taking nine months to close. Um, and the seller tried to back out a few times and it was, it was a mess. Like I gave it everything, but it was a single family house and I got it under contract and I was never, I've never really been super interested in single family. I've always wanted to do apartments or mobile home parks or something like that. But what I did is this was a home run deal. Like the purchase price was 42,000. It needed 25-ish, and the after repair value was going to be like 160. Like it was a, an amazing first deal. And I called every single person I knew after I contracted that and said, hey, I'm in real estate. This is the deal I've just got. The next one I find, I need a money partner. And I called everyone in my phone. I stole my dad's phone. I called everyone in his phone. I called all of his friends. I called my mom's friends. Uh, I sent, I think everyone who was a Facebook friend a message. And I've never been scared to put myself out there. And most people, of course, like my seventh grade basketball coach is like, you know, why are you, why are you calling me with this? No, I'm not interested. Please don't call again. Uh, but I was just, I was trying to prep people for, hey, I'm in real estate. I'm looking for investors. I don't need one yet, but you're going to be getting a call from me. And of course, I mean, if with single family, at least real estate in Tulsa, you can take hard money from a few different companies. So it really never makes sense unless you're doing like a midtown flip or a more expensive house is, is all need on midtown. But if your sale price is under 250,000, it really makes the most sense just to take hard money, which is the same as just basically taking a loan at higher interest and not giving up half your deal to an investor. So it was kind of a white lie I was telling, of, hey, I'm going to find another one of these and get to you. But I was really just prepping for these people that I'm going to, I'm going to tell them I'm going to find a single family house and I'm going to call them with an apartment building. I'm going to call them with a mobile home park. I'm just prepping them that, hey, expect a call from me. And two months later, I was at one of the real estate meetups and this first house still had, hadn't closed. And I originally went to go look at this duplex that this guy was wholesaling. And he starts talking to me about a mobile home park that he just contracted and that he's trying to raise money for. He's had it under contract for like a month and a half and can't really find anyone to partner with him on it. And of course, as soon as he said that, I wasn't interested in the duplex anymore. I'm like, okay, this guy just contracted a mobile home park. I want to look at the numbers. And I am, when it comes to my sales style, and this is one of the reasons we get so many houses now, is I will call you every single day. It doesn't matter. You're going to think I'm annoying. I don't care. I'm going to call you every single day. Like I will go knock on, I, within the company, I'm kind of known as, when I go, like I'll go door knock on some people. I'll go knock on their bedroom window in their backyard. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't care. I realize I'm crossing some boundary. I make a lot of people mad. But that's just my style and it's worked for me so far. And so I did the same thing with Ryan. He ended up being my, my business partner for over four years and we're still partners. But he, uh, I just called him every day. He eventually shared the numbers with me. I did a ton of back work on it and showed him that I was serious. And I just kept telling him, hey, you know, I can raise this money for us. Like, let me be a partner on this. I think the numbers are good. Again, I think they're good. I've never done a deal like this before. 
but I'm just, let me, like, I know some people with money. I was just part of this Tulsa Supercar Club. I did a bunch of filming for these guys who have money. Like, let me, like, let me in this deal. So he, after a few weeks of that, he eventually agreed. We needed a contract extension and the earnest money was hard at this point, so non-refundable. And we need another $10,000. Ryan had already put up 10,000 of his own money, which again, was non-refundable at this point. If we wanted to extend, I need to put up $10,000 non-refundable. I haven't raised the money. This was a hundred percent just bet on myself that again, I'm sitting in this cubicle. I have to change my life and I'm willing to give myself the chance, even if it means I just lose every single dollar that I have. I didn't have $10,000. So I ended up selling my car, got the 10,000, put it up. I was Ubering and lifting to work for a while. Um, and just took a bet on myself. Like it was all or nothing. You're capable of doing this. And I just started calling everyone again. Um, so we needed to raise like $150,000 for this mobile home park. That was the down payment, some of the closing costs, some of the um, renovation money, and then just some a little floating money from the operating account. And yeah, I had 30 days, $10,000 on the line. And I just called everyone. Uh, once no one's interested, everyone called everyone twice. People are saying, please don't call me again. Um, I called everyone, even if they said, Hey, I'm not interested. Please don't call me again. I called them again. I, I didn't <laughs> care. Um, and it wasn't, it was probably like 15 or 20 days in, like we were at the end. And one of my friend's dads from high school, he's a business owner and I call him and he's, not frustrated with me, but just like, are you ever going to stop calling me? But he was one of the few people that was still answering. Mm. Um, and I said, well, I've got like another 15 days to pull this off. So probably expect another 15 calls. And he said, if you just approach the mobile home park with this relentless attitude, I don't know how it will fail. So he's like, come over. And I, I went over there, kind of gave him like, I built this huge kind of investor pack um, packet and got convinced him to you know, make an investment and uh, it was hard money 17% personal guarantee like it was another all or nothing bet like this had to work Ryan and I's salary if this didn't work could could not cover the bank note and the investor payment like we would have had to file bankruptcy it was all or nothing and in order to make the 17% work um, with the amount that we were borrowing, we had to take massive action on this mobile home park to improve its, its cash flow. But, we just, but I remember talking with Ryan right before we decided to take the money. And it was kind of a conversation, almost a pact of we're both in a situation in life that we both, we know that we're not living and being our fullest and best self right now. We know that maybe this isn't as far as being in risk adverse, this isn't the smartest move. I mean, we are borrowing 100% of this purchase price. This is at an incredibly high interest. This is more money than we can even fathom paying back. Like all of our money is already in the deal. And it's not like the conclusion was it had like this has to work. And we're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. If that means that we close on this and every single weekend we have is going to be spent driving up to Ponca City where this mobile home park was, sleeping in the mobile homes and renovating them ourselves. If that's going to be our life for the next few years, I'm willing to do that. 
And that's exactly what it, we did and what it took. There was a period after we closed where Ryan and I are, you know, packing up on a Tuesday night after work, driving up Ponca City, which is an hour and a half drive, renovating the home ourselves, because like, the, there was like nine parking homes that needed to be renovated and sold. And we're driving back in the morning, going to work, Wednesday doing the same thing. Driving every night after work for a few months. And then on the weekends, Friday night, we're driving up there. We never stayed in a hotel. We're sleeping in a sleeping bag on the floor, eating peanut butter and jellies and just renovating these homes ourselves. Uh, that, that mobile home park we bought in uh, February 8th, 2018. Um, so again, the contract my first house, September 26, 2017, close on that, 2018. And we ended up finding another mobile home park that was up in Missouri and bought that one in June. So pretty shortly after, and now we're going on Ponca City on Friday night and Saturday night, we're taking off and driving to Missouri, doing the same thing, doing all the work ourselves. Uh, we closed on that one the same way. We just borrowed a bunch of money that we had no idea how to pay back. And we're just like, we have got to take massive action on these to make them actually make money. And later in 2018, we ended up buying another mobile home park, uh, a pack or around 30 houses and some oil wells. And I was full-time after that. But it was every day on the road, sleeping in mobile homes. It was it was everything. It had to work. If not, I mean, it was. I remember like shaking as I signed that promissory note on the first one. If this this is everything I have. To another testament to my parents. I mean, remember my my dad never asked me anything about the deal because I was still living at home at the time. All he asked me was, "Are you sure?" One question, that was it. I mean, I feel like most parents maybe would have dug in more, but I think they realized that I was not gonna not gonna stop. And I never once, and it's kind of a rule that I have, I never raised money from family. I never asked my parents for money. I think that's cheating. Like if you can't raise it outside, it's like you don't deserve to have it. So he just asked me, are you sure? And I just said, I have to be. Like I have to change my life. I have to. I have to make a step, even if I fail, even if it means I have to file bankruptcy and I set myself back. If I'm going to do that, now's the time. I'm 24. Like, I've got it, or maybe I was 23. I've got to take some some action to, to change the direction of my life. Yeah, there is so much in that story. So for the sake of time, I'll try to hold back all my questions. But, you know, one of the things, that's probably a lot more action than, than most 23 or 24-year-olds ever take in their entire lives. So, uh, but at, at the same time too, man, there's so many things that I just want to touch on is that at the start, you know, you did your homework, you prepared, you studied as much as you can to have some knowledge on the subject that you're going into. So hopefully that gave you a little bit more preparation and just kind of confidence going into something, but still when you can have as much knowledge as you want, but when, until you're in it and you're doing it, it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. And then also too, what made you able to call on anybody and not really care about the rejection of someone saying no or, or just the rejection in general on all cold calls because that's that's something that is definitely very challenging to do for most everybody because no one likes to be rejected and especially on the phone you know email is a little different there's not a face-to-face -face like we're doing right now essentially uh, but at the same time like what is your mindset like? I, I know you you talked about you didn't really care, but 
what, why do you think your makeup is like that? I really don't know. I know some people in like cold calling or when you're in sales, they like say count your nose or anything like that. I've never really thought like that. And even for a long time, I was cold calling once I was full-time trying to find more properties. Uh, I don't know, just the rejection has never really bothered me. To me, it's, I'm just a few phone calls away from what I need to achieve what I'm after. And I'm offering something that is good. That's like, I'm not offering something that I don't think like I would take if I was in a different situation. Like I'm actually trying to solve a problem. Um, so it's not, I mean, to me, I'm just presenting an opportunity and yeah, some people might not appreciate how I present it. Um, but at the end of the day, like that's what I had to do to kind of get, get through. But I've always, I've always thought like that. I've never, I've never been scared to put myself out there or being told no. I mean, ever like my dad has always said like, what's the worst that can happen whenever you go like ask a girl, like, she can say no, okay go ask the next one out like who cares uh -huh. um, so it's he, he's always said that i've always thought that was funny and i just kind of view it as the same it's like what's the absolute worst someone can say it's like okay you call an investor and they get mad and then they cuss you out or say something not very nice okay just call the next person <laughs> like it doesn't matter like the yeah. two calls aren't connected it's a completely different person yeah i, I don't know how to answer that yeah, well, it, it's obviously it's 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 just the road to get to where you need to be, and it's like you said, you're not offering something bad, but it just is what it is, and that's what you got to do to get to where you want to go. Another thing too on your your on your story a little bit is: are you someone who's naturally has a high tolerance for for risk, or is that something that's developed over time for you? Because in your story, a lot of people look at that and say that's a lot of risk right there. Um, I mean, how do you balance that? Or is it another thing where you just know that's where you got to go and you got to make it happen. You got to find yeah. a way. Uh, um, Ryan gave me the courage on that first deal. I think so Ryan's 10 years older than I am. At the time he was a CIO of Expo Square, chief information officer. He's got, he's the smartest person I know. He's, he went from IT help desk to chief information officer of the Expo State Fair I'm not sure what the actual name is, yeah. but he did that in three years and he wasn't really interested in business before that. Well, when he decides he's going to do something, there's nothing that's going to stop him. And I, I think I just, and I still do. I really looked up to Ryan. I looked up to him then. I was just probably some young kid who graduated college to him at the time and somehow stumbled into all this money that we could use. But I don't know. He just, his attitude towards the deal was never wavering. It was, this is going to work. We're going to make it work. It's like, without a doubt in his mind, like it wasn't, it was, we need to change our lives. Here's how we do it. Here's the fastest way to do it is by taking more risks. What's the worst that can happen? Can we live with that? Yeah, okay, let's do it. Like to write it so black and white. For me, I was, I was, probably a little more scared than he was and but on the second one I mean the, the scariest it's ever going to be is the first time you do something and we know we didn't fully know what we were doing but the second one was a lot easier third one was even easier the fourth one was like a cakewalk by by that point as far as buying the mobile home parks uh I would say I'm 
as far as my risk tolerance, I'm more than most. Uh, Ryan's even more risk tolerant than I am now. And my third partner, Sam, is not risk tolerant at all. And so he kind of um, has leveled us out the last, the last three, three years, I would say. But naturally, yeah, I'll, I'll take quite a bit of risk on, on my own. But it's just, to me, it's always what's worst case? Okay, double that. Can you live with that? Because worst case is always worse than you think it's going to be too. Mm-hmm. And the concept of due diligence, you know, we do that in real estate, but at the same time, whenever you hop into a deal, you're doing due diligence. You're not just going like this, you know, and, yeah. and just jumping into something, but you have some, some background information you're researching, you know, you're using common sense, which mm-hmm. is a big key of it. And then making a decision from what you have, the best information that you have, because you rarely ever in life in general, will have a hundred percent of the information before you make a decision. Yeah. So anyway, but another thing too, and then we'll really kind of accelerate into what you're doing today, but what about raising capital? Because that's something that is very, very uh, different for most people or, and a lot of people have no idea how to go about that. And you talked about first and foremost, uh, you didn't want to take any money from your family. And that's probably where the majority of people first start as friends and family. Yeah. Um, how did you go about raising capital? Where did you learn how to do it? And you know, why is that important to scale your business? As far as learning how to do it, I don't think I, I just put together what I thought would be a, a good idea. I mean, I built some investor packets um, when I was at OU in terms of like, here's how we put together a business plan and formally present it to a group of investors. So that, that helped a little bit. Um, but I mean, really all this is in the simplest way you possibly can put the opportunity on paper. Where are the biggest risks at? What role is everyone going to play? Where's the value add at? And then what's in it for the investor? Um, making that as simple as you possibly can. A mistake that I made at the beginning is you, you try to show your intelligence by making some 30 page packet. No investor wants to look through that. They want a one page bullet point. Okay, and then a meeting to set up or let's work through a little bit more one person. Uh, but so I build these big, big packets uh, just because I thought that's what I needed to do at the time. Walking through the entire deal, the bank financing we we're going to use and just showing the investor the, the entire picture. And then it was just a matter of I, I think prep is really important. Um, I didn't do a great job of it, but for anyone who's looking to get into real estate and raise money now, I'm like, put together a sample deal, just something you make up and start calling everyone and saying, hey, I'm in real estate. Here's a sample deal. If I find something like this, would you be willing to invest? So again, you're just prepping people for, hey, if I find a deal like this, can I bring it to you? And I guess I did that a little bit with telling people about the single family home, but that's really your, your biggest thing is there's a ton of people in your network, whether you realize it or not, who have money that they don't know what to do with. You're providing an opportunity for them. And it, a ton of it isn't even on the deal. It's on timing. And the number one thing is trust. Like that's what every investment comes down to. I tell my investors, because we've done some syndications now for some of our apartment buildings, which is where it's not a hard loan. It's like an equity investment. There's no guarantee for the investor at all. I'm like if, if I'm, I tell my investors, like I'm going to mess up at some point. It hasn't happened yet. I've never lost money on the deal, but I will. Like I will 100% mess up or miss something on due diligence. Like it's going to happen. And if that happens on this project, if you don't trust me to the point where, you know, you're still going to call me, 
course you wouldn't. But if you're not, if you're not, if you're wondering where I'm at, you should not invest. Because if this project goes sideways, you should know that I've not only sold my car and sold my house, but I'm in a tent outside sleeping in the parking lot of the apartment building. I'm painting it myself. Eating peanut butter and jellies. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't have that level of trust with me, do not give me your money. I think one of the biggest ways to raise money is you're almost selling against yourself as well. It's your, no one who's desperate is ever going to be able to raise any money at all. And part of how I do with that is selling based off that trust. Like we have, to, I make it the money raising extremely slow for people. Like where we have to have several in-person meetings to the point where a lot of people are like, just take my money already. It's like, I, I want to make sure that we're going to be a good team, that there's a level of trust here um, and that you know what type of person I am, especially when my back's up against the wall. Like you already know what I'm going to do before I do it. And if we don't have that, don't give me your money. If this is more than, if this is the amount of money that if you lose, it's going to affect your month, don't give it to me. Don't give it to me at all. I mean, that's something I saw a lot in the Tulsa Supercar Club. Some of those guys, if they wrecked their car, they could walk away, no insurance, wouldn't even affect their week. We're talking about half a million dollar cars. The other half of the group, if they got a door beam, oh, their, their year was ruined. So making sure that you're not taking too much too, and you're discouraging people from putting too much in. I always talk about taking baby steps, taking trial runs. It's like our, our minimum investment now for our single family is 50,000. But if there's someone that I, I feel like 50,000 might be the max, I'm like, listen, just give me $1 and let me show you how I operate before you give me any more. And that goes a long way with people. Absolutely. As far as learning, though, um, there is, I didn't take any course. I just did, I guess, what I would want to see and picked up the phone. I love that answer. I love it. So going into your story even further, you know, where, where is your company today and what have you guys been doing and where are you going? Sure. So I left my job um, and Ryan and I, started going around and just trying to buy more houses and more mobile home parks. We ended up buying one more and we we're just operating them. And that was really the plan as Ryan and I are going to go out and form this, this equity company that raises money. We are trying to get away from taking the hard debt and do more of a syndication model where we're giving away equity in each deal. We're going to start buying mobile home parks all across the nation. And we both early 2019, we met Samson Graff. He's a real estate investor. He'd been full-time investing for, I think, six or seven years. I don't remember exactly how long. And he was kind of coming to us, like, you know, just kind of saying, like, the story in his head was, okay, here's two guys. You're both working full-time jobs, and you've just done what last year? Like, that seems ridiculous. Like, how... How do you have the time? How do you get the money? You're out buying mobile home parks. You have no experience. Did your parents give you money? Like, and like just kind of going through that question. And so he became extremely interested in partnering with us to go buy another mobile home park together. And Ryan and I were sitting here thinking, Sam has been a full-time investor for much longer than us. He knows way more than us. I almost, I mean, I view him as a mentor. Like he's, uh, him and Ryan are the smartest guys I know. 
and he owns over 100 houses by himself. How in the world have you done that? So we're both kind of like looking at each other's background and it just kind of was a natural fit. And so we partnered up because um, mobile home parks and multifamily are great and you can increase the cash flow, but it means you're going to be on the road a lot, um, especially if you're managing yourself. And it's more of like a long-term retirement play, especially in today's market. Like good luck buying an apartment building that's listed and making any money on it. It's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, but so we were, that was the plan. And so we partnered with him and Sam was going to like lead our single family division. And we were going to focus on uh, some mobile home parks as well and kind of do some apartments too and kind of just do a little bit of everything. And we did that and we started building up our team as well. I, uh, we brought in an in-house property management because before long you buy it, you bought enough and you're like, I'm no longer an investor, I'm a manager, just trying to keep track of all this stuff. So we got a bookkeeper, brought in a property manager, uh, brought our first assistant in. And we were starting to focus on just buying single family houses with Sam as the lead. I was kind of doing, I was over like in our employees and management um, and trying to um, really just like establish a, a culture within our, within our company and work on the mobile home parks uh, and raise investor money as well. And Ryan was really focused on, all right, what's our next apartment acquisition going to be? So we wanted to get in the apartment space. And so we're all three kind of doing different things, which work great. And we did that from 2019 through majority of 2020. Uh, our, our staff doubled. Um, and again, we're, we're, so we were probably buying three or four single family houses a month after about a few months of focusing on it. We were three or four a month. And our business model, at least initially, was almost primarily owner finance. So we're buying a home, we're renovating it more turnaround and owner financing it to some end buyer, like someone who can't get qualified at a bank. And that's great because if you're looking at a rental property, that's a single family home, you have what you have to account for is like the core four, which is your vacancy, your property management, your repairs, and your capital improvements. Now your percentage of your gross income, everyone will argue on what this percentage needs to be, but I think it's at least 30%, sometimes as high as 40. So that means after tax and insurance, over half of your gross income is towards expenses. And then you have your debt service after that if you have a bank. So making a rental actually cash flow um, can be difficult. It's by far you know, a great retirement plan, but it's, uh, it's much more difficult than owner finance. Owner finance, you have somebody in the home. There theoretically shouldn't be any vacancy. There theoretically property management should be less because you're not doing any repairs they're responsible for the entire home. And same thing with CapEx, you're not responsible for that. So in terms of how can we pay ourselves today with cash flow, how can we, how can we start making more cash flow now, even if it means giving up the future, because um, we're essentially flipping these homes just off a long-term note in order to build a staff now so we can grow faster, so we're not doing all this work ourselves. So in single family, that was really what we focused on for the first year. And then we started really sprinkling in some rentals and some flips. And now our single family business, uh, it's really exploded. And it's almost primarily the main thing that we, that we do uh, is buying close to 10 homes per month right now. Uh, we've got a full construction crew that we've built out. Um, and our in-house staff is at 12 or 13 people, I think, as of right now. But really built that business out. And right now, like now, like, Half of our homes are just rentals and the other half are some option to purchase, whether that's a lease option or an owner finance or just a flip in general. 
but really we're trying to focus on just holding everything long-term. Like everything we do is for the cash flow long-term, not the short-term. Uh, but Ryan, skipping back, Ryan was in charge of the apartment buildings. We ended up going and buying three apartment buildings around Tulsa and syndicating, bringing some investor money in. We bought another mobile home park as well. And it was like, when we were kind of wrapping up those projects, we were, and this is all getting to like what we're doing today. We're like, why, why can we not get past three or four homes a month? Like at the end of 2020. And it came down to focus, which is again, one of the discipline and focus, my, like my two number one things that your entire life revolves around. And we realized that we were never going to be able to grow our single family, per, like our single family business the level that we wanted. We're never going to be able to get to 10 homes per month until we actually focused on it. And it wasn't until we decided, all right, no more apartments, no more multifamily. We're just going to do the single family. It was like the next month we do 12 deals, 12 single family deals. And that started to go so well that that became our main focus at the end of 2020. And so really from 2021, now 2022 um, has been, all right, we've scaled to where we're doing on a terrible month six, on a great month 12, single family homes per month. We kind of have our buckets that we place them in, whether that's with an option to buy or just a rental. Again, we've got uh, a full-time bookkeeper now, we've got two assistants, uh, we've got a VP of operations, a VP of construction. We're always training new GCs now that know how to renovate within our standard model. And we've got the full construction crew as well. And so we're able to turn these homes pretty quick. And it's been more, the last six months, more about just automating. So we've been able to get this system built up, we've got some acquisition agents now that are just on, on the hunt looking for deals. But how can we, because the only way you can do a lot is if you have surround yourself by really capable people and allow them to fail on their own. It's the only way. And yeah, it's kind of really, um, I guess, appetizing to want to jump in and continue to push to just sustain a certain deal count, but that's more of an ego thing. Hmm. Then our current business now, it's how can we empower the people we have now so that Sam and I can focus on, all right, how can we tweak this business to make it even more profitable? Or how can we enter the apartment space again or enter the mobile home park space again? Um, and within the last month, we've seen a ton of progress within that. And um, starting to, I just brought on another guy just to look for mobile home parks and started to think of some other spinoff ideas as well. But so for, it was mobile home parks at first, and then it was single family houses with everything else, trying to do all of them at the same time. And then about a year and a half ago, we said just single family homes, our business exploded. And it's uh, kind of been on that trajectory ever since, not necessarily trying to do more than 10 deals per month, but more trying to automate and make it run by itself. Yeah, and the next thing is skyscrapers, so. Oh, yeah but help me find some yeah yeah well you know there's so much into that story too and i love how you talked about basically uh, you have this team come together with different skill sets and you're looking at uh you know sam like wow look what he's done and he's looking at you like look what these guys have done with mm -hmm. with an actual job so and obviously there's a synergy there you're able to come together and start scaling up and growing your business but also you talk about um, systems and efficiency. And I think that's one thing too, for people that aren't in real estate, like you talked about, there is a lot of benefit to buying and holding, right? And that's really good. And there's even more benefit when you can actually have cash flow and actually pay yourself. And in order yeah. to grow a company, 
you have to have to have cash flow or you have to have a strategy that enables you to get cash to grow and hire employees so that you can do more and more. But having the mindset that you talk about is being efficient and, and making sure that you're being profitable and, and growing that profit for your company instead of just an ego play, which I think is very much, you know, we could, we could dive into a whole nother podcast on that. Just, um, you know, not letting your ego get to you as you grow a business and as it gets bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. But I love, I love that story though. Well, you talked on two things and there are two things that I definitely want to dive into you real quick with, because when I think about you and what you've done, uh, there, there are two things I think embody what, what you're about and it's focus and discipline. So how important have those things been in your life? Because I, I know the people that are listening right now definitely can see it in the patterns of your story, but, but talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I've always been, at first, I think those two things are everything. Like if you don't have those, you have nothing. You might stumble into some a good deal or some some luck, but if you don't you don't have one a plan of where you want your life to go, uh, you don't have to know every step of the way there. But if you don't, if you're not disciplined enough to plan your day out beforehand, to have your schedule lined out, and then to focus on whatever this thing is that you're trying to build, you're gonna go absolutely nowhere. I've always been extremely like focused on planning. My schedule every morning is blocked out from 5 a.m. to 7.30 when I, when I finish up at the gym. I, I have every minute of every day accounted for, even on Saturday and Sunday. And there was a period where even on social media, I was kind of sharing that with everybody. And a lot of people are like, this cannot be how you operate. Well, it is, and it's how I've operated since I graduated college and even a little bit beforehand. It's like, it takes... 10 minutes to schedule your day out. And there's another thing which kind of feeds into focus is every day I assign a one thing. And that is what is the one thing that you can do today that's gonna push your business forward? Usually it's an important non-urgent item that honestly you could probably wait a month to do, but it's something that's gonna truly spark and inspire growth within your company. It's gonna truly give you a push. All the urgent things, and they never are. It's something that just somebody needs. But to actually focus on the building blocks, and again, I call it the one thing. So every day on my schedule, I have two hours blocked out from seven to nine. And sometimes it's not always seven to nine, but I always have two hours blocked out for that one thing. And sometimes the one thing is something that takes 10 minutes. And other times it's a huge project that I'm, that I'm working on. But it comes down to focusing on those things that are going to push your business forward. Uh, but I mean, discipline, it's, it's everything. We talked about this a little bit before we got started, but it's, it's when you say you're going to go do something and you don't tell anybody else, it's like, but I've told myself that, Hey, today I'm going to go to the gym. And this is the first time I've mentioned it to anybody else, but I said, you know, at 5:30 today, I'm going to the gym. If I break that commitment to myself, I'm breaking like my own character. Like I'm not building my character up. I'm like deconstructing it. It's like how you build like yourself up as a person, how you gain confidence is through discipline. It's by continually and consistently doing the things that you said you're going to do that you didn't tell anybody else, but yet you still did them. It's great. It's keeping that commitment and that almost pact that you made with yourself. And so with that, I mean, if you can couple that discipline of never breaking commitment to yourself and always doing exactly what you said you're going to do, you couple that with the intentionality of, hey, I'm going to have every single day lined out. 
on my schedule. I'm going to know what my most important things to do are. I'm going to have my one thing blocked out. My one thing that's actually going to push my business forward. I'm actually going to focus on that. And I'll be, I'll be trying to learn crypto and I'll be trying to like, I don't know, do all these other businesses, but focus on one thing. Like let's not be balanced. Let's focus on a two or three areas of our life and be the very best at those. And who cares about everything else? It's like, I don't want to be a person that's good at everything. I want to be extremely good. In fact, the best at two or three things in these areas of my life. Um, and you can't get there without intentional focus each day, planning your day out and just, I don't want to say operating like a robot, but the difference between millionaires and billionaires is right there. And that, and it's not all about money. It's really not. Um, in fact, I kind of hate that I use that, that, that example, but the difference between becoming your fullest potential and 70% is right there. Mm -hmm. It's having the discipline, even on a Sunday, it doesn't matter if you plan your entire day out as just, I'm going to rest and be intentional with my wife and kids. You've got it on your calendar, like in implementing that type of focus in your life, that's how you take massive action at a pace that people wonder, how, how, how are you doing what you're doing? How, how are you not getting burnt out? Well, if you add tracking your sleep to that, you're not going to get burnt out because you've scheduled your sleep. You prioritize it. Are you going to miss your eight hours whenever you scheduled it? No, because you're going to keep that path to yourself. So discipline and focus, like I, I make a lot of Facebook Live videos, or at least I, I have in the past whenever I'm making a, a push to recruit more people to the team. It's how I recruit and how I raise and invest for money. And that's almost all I talk about is focus and discipline. Because I really think if I'm pointing to anything um, that's led to the point that the team is currently at, it's that. It's not anything else. And it's the same thing with like when I was making all those investor calls. It's like, I put it on a schedule that I'm gonna call this many people. Nobody else knows about this, but I'm not gonna break this pact that I've made myself. I'm gonna call every single person on that list. I've already told myself I'm going to do it. And am I, am I a liar to myself? Mm. No. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. It's just keeping the promises you make to yourself and then also being intentional about putting together a plan in place of where you want to go. And, mm. and I think that's something what you just said, when you can sit and take some time to really think and ask the questions that you really need to think about, not just it's like, what, what do I want? why do you want that? Like really get intentional about that. Why do you really want those things that you want and how are you actually going to develop a plan to do it? But if you can take some time, you know, it can really honestly be minimal time, but you set the parameters in place. Like you do, you schedule out your days, your weeks, you're, you're knowing where you're going. You're being intentional with your time and everything is a, a, a determined focus and discipline to get to you to that point. Mm -hmm. But the irony or the paradox in that is because you've done that, it still is hard work. I don't want to discredit that at all, but it takes some of the, uh, you know, menial work that you have to do to set the parameter. Just, you just got to do this every day. You know, yeah. you got to be focused on it. Just do it. You've already set the parameters in place. You got to do it. Um, it's just like, I, I think, uh, you know, the, um, there's the quote where it's like going and you want to get in shape. Well, you got to go work out and you got to eat healthy. Like it's, yeah. it's simple. something simple like that. Right. And you just got to do it every single day. And there's a little bit of complexity to that too, but I love what you said. So that's great. I want to honor your time and get out of here, but where do you see the company going as you guys are moving forward into the future? 
and then kind of just dive it all back. Uh, just have a, a fire round here in a second. But where, where do you see your company going? Uh, over the next few months, we're going to continue to uh, empower the people that we currently have on our team. We have all the seats filled. Um, I'm continuing to establish my VP of operations as the leader, as the person to go to. I'm intentionally being in the office less and working from home more, which I hope to end soon because I, I really don't like working from home. But establishing somebody else as the person to go to for all the questions, to lead the meetings, it's not a business if it requires you. That's an anchor. It's not a business. So turning it like, and people call whatever they have as a business, but rarely, like people rarely actually have a business. I want to actually have a business is my I guess, number one goal. And so working towards that over the next few months and Sam and I, um, because I mentioned this a little bit earlier and it's not a secret, but one of my partners is actually retiring. Ryan's gonna uh, retire and take a few years off. He's gonna travel the world and start a family. And again, as far as a success story, I met him four years ago and to be able to help be part of him being able to make that decision that I'm gonna not work for five, 10, 15 years. That really makes me happy that I've been a piece of helping him get to that. Uh, but Sam and I want to continue with it um, just because I, I think it's fun. And I think that's a place that I really hope everyone gets to is a, a place where you're not doing it anymore for the money or anything like that, just because it's, it truly is a blast. I'm getting to work with my best friends every single day. And so I just want to continue doing that and focus on once the business is operating kind of by itself, it doesn't have to do 10 homes a month. I know I can jump in and help it do more deals, but I'm at a place now where I would rather do less deals without me um, so I can focus on whatever this next thing is. I think my next idea, like our, our current business, I, I think could be a great $100 million business, but I don't know how to tweak it to make it a billion-dollar business. And so my next thing, I really want to focus on the billion-dollar business. I want to focus on the thing that, like, truly empowers people to live their best life, become their fullest potential, that breaks poverty cycles with everyone who works there, that truly invests in every single member of the team. So that's a true win-win that we're all working towards this common goal together. And just, just inspires people that, hey, your life doesn't have to be going towards this, this box that you sit in and work for somebody else. Like I, I, I can't stand that idea. I want a, a place like a collective where people come together we're all sharing ideas and all just pushing each other to become this fullest best self that, you know, the fullest potential that God has given us to, to become like really investing in us and pushing everyone forward. Like that's the idea. That's the company culture we have. Um, and that's why we've been able to grow. I think so quickly too, because people realize that I'm truly working in their best benefit and whatever this next idea is, I'm not sure what it is yet or how long it's going to take me. It could be apartments, could be mobile home parks again. I'm not really sure, but finding a different way to do things that uh, could actually lead to nationwide scale. Yeah. How important is faith to you? It's inevitable. It's, it's the building blocks. Like you, uh, my, my, I guess faith walk has been up and down as most people probably is as points in my life where I've been extremely close to God and felt really connected. And then other times where God has felt really distant and really far away. Um, 
I've made it a more of a priority. Like my my brain, it's because God God doesn't operate on a, a time frame and God doesn't belong on your schedule. But in order for me to get time with God and invest in my faith, that's how my my brain operates. So it's like I will put God on my schedule to get my Bible, to read my like do my journaling, to maybe watch a. I, I love watching live church. So to just get like, get in the word one way or another and like dedicating time every single day for that and talk, you talk about when you're covered in uh, mud or covered in like crawling under these mobile homes and you're like i, I said mud but you, you can fill in the blank there and you're on the drive <laughs> back to tulsa wondering why am i doing this you, you need that fundamental building block like it's it's not your purpose, it's his. And I'm still trying to figure out what mine or what his purpose is for my life. Uh, and I think a lot of people make it too complex, but I've started to feed into the idea that, you know, maybe mine is to build something that changes generations that allows people to fully invest in themselves, which leads to more stable household, which leads to giving back, which leads to like changing a community and you know changing an environment that that you live in so maybe god's purpose for my life isn't as complex as or that i think it is or saying something to someone someday maybe it's just continuing to really dive into the gifts that i feel like he's given me um which is just doubling down on building this business and every chance i get to talk about him bringing him up because it's not me yeah i love that he's the foundation well, as we kind of wind down, like I said before, we're going to do a fire round. So I will say a little question. You can kind of finish the sentence in a word or a sentence. So you can do anything if. You develop focus, self-discipline, and have a plan. Like really, really invest in planning your days out. Doesn't matter if it's Saturday or Sunday. That's just a made up day. So Monday, Saturday, it's just the name of a day. Like they're all the same. Plan your day out and be disciplined in everything you said and keep those promises to yourself belief means i think again i think we all at, at some point are in a situation that isn't ideal where you realize that no one is is coming to help you no one's coming to save you it's all on you belief is realizing that it's not all on you love that favorite vacation spot besides Ponca city <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a season right now of not taking any vacations. I've got a few members on the team that haven't got to take a vacation since they started. And so I'm not taking one until they have. But somewhere with the beach, I know I'll, on vacation, I like to sit around and really do nothing, kind of unwind. Perfect. Service means investing in others before yourself. Awesome. Favorite professional, go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying that's the, the fundamental blocks of being a leader. It's investing in others before yourself and never asking anyone to do anything that you wouldn't do or haven't already done. Favorite deal you've done? Uh, the first mobile home park by far. It's not even close. Okay. <laughs> it all comes down to. Yeah, I want to go back to focus and discipline. Um, I think it's impossible to achieve your fullest and best self, whatever that is, 
um, without those two. And I want to tie faith in here somehow, but in order for me to further my faith walk, it starts with focus and discipline because otherwise I'll get so caught up in the business that I won't make time. Mm. But if I continue to be disciplined in planning my day, I always have time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Using focus and discipline to make time for what matters. Mm -hmm. So love that. Well, we're done with the fire round. The last two questions I have for you, is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I want to say that it goes back to one of my best friends saying, Hey, if you just focus on something that's concrete, you'll do really well. You don't always have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, but something Ryan used to say a lot is it's like, just honestly, what's the worst thing that can happen? I think a lot of people get so stuck in their head. Uh, they're going to take this risk and lose money. If you've saved up $50,000 and you recently graduated college or wherever you are in life, and you're looking at take, buying your first rental property, and you run the numbers, and you're like, it looks like it's going to you know, lose a little bit of money. So that's a, if that's the worst thing that can happen, like you learn an incredible lesson, an incredible skill, and get out of your own head and prove yourself that, hey, you are capable of doing this. Uh, I, I think such like fear prevents us from doing so much. And if you just look at it more black and white, these numbers, what's the absolute worst that can happen? Doubling it and then being okay with that. Uh, people need to take some risks. Yeah, I love that. You know, one of the things that my grandpa used to tell my dad, my dad's told me, he's like always saying, well, they can't eat you. So that's, that's another perspective <laughs> for you. So anyway, I love that. But the final question we have for you is this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? It means discovering our, the fullest potential that God has given us. It's being the person that people look to from just, again, simple focus and discipline to the easiest things to do in the world can lead to consistency, which is really how you get anything done by just being consistent at it. But if you develop that, which leads to consistency, and then you'll, I think you'll shortly be in a position where you can begin focusing on others, building others up, um, which is really the only way that you get anything done anyway, is investing in those people around you, setting them up for success, um, and just continuing to be that rock that, that people can lean on because you know that you're not going to settle for anything less than your best self. And you're going to hold other people to that, that same standard. So I think building excellence is, is really leading by example. It's how I try to lead. I have no idea how to be a leader besides just never asking anyone to do anything I wasn't willing to do and like relentlessly taking things on being the first in the office the last person to leave if you continue to just invest in yourself with focus and discipline you'll get that consistency you'll become that person for other people and you'll end up changing generations of lives from doing that hmm. like yeah. leave a leave a life that's that's worth someone telling a story about everyone's capable of that that's a great way to finish right there. Well, Will, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to have to have you back on whenever you've taken a $100 million business to a billion. But also, you know, thank you for being a great leader. I know you talked about just being a leader right there, but also empowering the people that work with you 
you're a great example to a lot of people, including myself and a lot of people within the real estate industry, not even in the real estate industry. So continue to do what you're doing and really appreciate you coming on the show. If people wanted to learn more about your company and also about you, what's the best way to do that? Just follow me on Facebook. Perfect. Right. Number one place I post, I, I'm kind of sporadic on, on Instagram. Uh, I was starting to post, but realized I don't necessarily have a lot of time for that right now, but Facebook, I'm going to start making another push on it pretty soon. I make a lot of Facebook lives and I tell everyone everything that I'm doing. Awesome. Well, definitely check, check him out if you want to find out more about what you just talked about. So, Will, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.